0: What's up, what's happening on a misery Monday? Yeah, still technically a misery Monday. And this one is brought to you by your local Honda dealer. Experience power, performance, and ruggedness with Honda. See your local Honda dealer. Anthony Haney is back today. Anthony, how was your Thanksgiving, sir? My Thanksgiving
1: was fantastic. It was a little too short, but I'm glad to be back.
0: Always is. Finally felt refreshed. A couple days off. Got the bye week coming, uh, and then it's a sprint until it's time to find some new coaches and a new general manager and all that kind of stuff. Well, they already, they already did some of the cleaning on the coaches, and that is where we start. You know, the game was Thursday, but this is the first show we've had, so this will look like our usual Monday show. Uh, Michael Phillips at five o'clock, you know, pick six at six, the whole dealio, including. It's time to get the breakdown started. One, two, three, three. First up, 10 observations. Mr. and just, boom, put right on the ground. It's first and 10. Every Monday after a commander's game, we do first and 10, starting with, well, you know, number one. The defense felt, the word I'm going to use is inevitable, and at that point, Jack Del Rio had to go. Now, are they rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? To an extent, but it's not a perfect analogy because there are things you're trying to evaluate. It'd be like if, if as the Titanic was sinking, there were engineers running around being like, look, we know the ship's going down, but does this part work? Oh, okay, that's cool. Let's salvage that for later for a new ship. So qu- throw that that insert boat part here in a life raft. We'll use it next time. Sorry to the people who are going to be lost along the way. And that's realistically where they're at now. They're at an evaluation point moving forward, and what they needed to do was figure out a defense that they can play where they can actually look at the pieces because this one stinks. It stinks the high heavens, and the players can't play it, which makes it impossible to evaluate the players other than to say, hey, whatever scheme they're trying to operate, they can't do that. And there is no more inevitable feeling than the first scoring drive the Cowboys had. So the defense actually held uh, once in, in that first quarter. It might have even held twice. I have to go back and look at the drive chart. Um, there was a lot of touchdowns in that first half. It was like hold, hold, touchdown, 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 touchdown. Hold, hold, third quarter. Excellent. Pitched a shutout. Pfft. Downhill it went. And boy, did it go downhill fast 25 0, including the Howell pick six. Uh, congrats to Deron Bland on your history in the fourth quarter. But on the Cowboys' first scoring drive of the game, that ultimately put them up seven. nothing. They start in the shadow of their own end zone. They start with Dak Prescott in the shotgun standing on the goal line. He takes a quick drop and fires an absolute dart over the outstretched arms of Cody Barton. And I'm not saying Cody Barton's name to pick on Cody Barton because that was good coverage. That was a ridiculous throw from Dak Prescott because he couldn't have put it any loftier. Otherwise, a safety would have been able to come over and kill his tight end. Instead perfectly placed ball over the outstretched arms of Cody Barton, who's running as a Tampa two linebacker up the field, trying to trying to do the best he can. And look, it's not perfect. You know, could Fred Warner have made a play on the ball? Maybe, but he's Fred Warner, but it's good coverage. They hit the shot. Okay. All right. That sucks. Now let's bow up and still force a punt. Nope. Completions. Good runs. Oh, Hey, Oh, Cowboys commit a penalty. We got him now. Nope, first down. Commit another penalty, first down. And then ultimately, they score. And by the way, they score on that drive despite the fact that Tony Pollard fumbled the football and CeeDee Lamb recovered it. So on that drive, the Cowboys started in the shadow of their own end zone, had a fumble, multiple penalties, and they still scored a touchdown. When your defense is doing that, And it feels like the kind of outcome that has been happening to you all season. It's time to make a change. You just can't. You can't go on like that. And they compound it uh, later in that half with the fact that they gave up another touchdown at the end of the half. And they gave it up so fast that you almost wonder if if the Cowboys scored too quickly. Um, They didn't. Commanders gave up some sacks. Uh, and, and there went their end of half drive. But the commanders have literally given up more points at the end of halves than any other team in the NFL all season. Inevitable is the word I will use because it's inevitable that they will just give up a bunch of points. And when it reaches that and snowballs out of control, to use Ron Rivera's word, then you have to do something. You cannot – like Sam Fortier, uh, who, by the way, you'll hear from coming up in the bottom of the hour – um, asked this really sensational question. I'm mad at myself for not asking Sam about it uh, on Friday when we spoke. And that is, he, he, in the postgame presser, goes, hey, can players expect anything to change if you don't make any changes? And Ron very pointedly and somewhat angrily said, I'm not going to answer that question. And in fairness to Ron, he probably knew what he was going to do. He probably knew that he was going to have to fire someone he didn't want to fire because he doesn't want to fire anyone. And that's fine. You shouldn't, if you are in a position where you look forward to firing people, like really ask about yourself. That is not a cool thing to do. Sometimes it's necessary, but it is not something where you should relish ending other people's professional uh, jobs. And Ron doesn't want to do it, but he knew he had to. And to kind of summarize the larger thought here, in terms of Del Rio and where the issues lied. And there's a ton that we can get into from like a super schematic standpoint. Um, you know, at times mismatching coverages. Hey, this didn't really wasn't the best call for the situation. How often do you bring pressure? How good are you at calling the right pressures? At, at really scheming up pressure against a team in the way that Wink Martindale does for New York. Especially against this team. But I think the biggest thing that I come away with is some quotes from Jack's players, uh, the commander's defensive players, and other players over the course of the four years. Multiple times over the course of the four years, Jack Del Rio was the defensive coordinator here. There were quotes from commander's players saying how difficult and complicated this defense was. It's complex. We do a lot. Sometimes they were complaints. Sometimes they were just statements of fact. But there definitely has been in the last couple of weeks a number of times where, for instance, Benjamin St. Juice is like, you know, if we just played straight man, this might have been easier. Or if we didn't, we just played straight zone. We didn't do some of the zone matching. If we didn't have so many rules. Like, it's very, very complicated. And one of the things Rivera is going to do is simplify it down and make it easy so that he can coach it because he hasn't called defense in a long time. And so these players can hopefully play fast and execute. But on the other end of the equation, you have a bunch of offensive players that have played this team and torched them being like, yeah, their coverages are pretty simple. We know exactly what we need to do and we execute it. You want your system, offensive or defense, to appear complicated for the opponent and be simple for you. Something you can do well, but it is hard for them to decipher. That is the ultimate goal of a scheme. The commander's defense under Jack Del Rio was the opposite. It was hard for the people playing it and easy for the people playing against it. That is the ultimate failure of a scheme. That is why Jack Del Rio, above all else, had to be fired, and it's why he was. The second reason is his staff, which brings us to number two. Brett Visselmeyer was the defensive backs coach. Was, because you might have missed this, he was also fired. On Friday, he was a poor choice. Uh, All due respect to him. He was a poor choice to replace uh, Chris Harris, who left in the offseason for Tennessee and should have never been allowed out the door. He should have been elevated to defensive coordinator and Del Rio should have easily, within the benefit of hindsight, but I would have said this at the time, been elevated to defensive coordinator. And it is Ron's job to have known that as the person who oversaw the turnarounds the last couple of years. It is very clear that Harris had a large role in them because he's gone and it did come this year. The classic Del Rio mid-season turn. So, Visselmeyer comes in. He's got not a whole lot of NFL experience, not a lot of high major college experience, if any. He's extremely inexperienced. He's basically only worked for Del Rio. The position is way too big for him. And to compound that, to compound the fact that he's not good at the job, they took DBs, his position with the first and second picks in their draft. So you have now essentially wasted a year of development for Quan Martin and Emmanuel Forbes, who will have to start over next year learning from hopefully a great defensive backs coach that can get the most out of their vast talent. Which brings me to kind of a larger point um, before we get to the final seven here in first and 10. Uh, this This is something we'll flush out more as the week goes. I think we have actually crossed a Rubicon in talking about the talent on this team. Everyone now is going, we overrated the talent. I actually don't think it's that good. I don't know that that's correct. And this is kind of a two a. This is not. This is this is not uh, an official first and ten take. This is this is a put a pin in it. We're gonna talk about this tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and probably for the rest of the season. I have no idea how good the talent on this defense is because it was so poorly coached that I can't judge the players, and I just can't. There are certain guys that you're like, man, I expect a lot more, but if they are not being set up, well to be successful, how can we say that they actually now are bad? Did Deron Payne and John Allen suddenly become, like, not very effective football players? I highly doubt it. I think the, the scheme stinks, and some of the complimentary talent may not be so complimentary. You know, is Quan Martin, who a lot of people liked and was properly drafted in the second round, or Emmanuel Forbes, who was overdrafted probably, but, like, not by a dramatic amount? Maybe he was a second, but a, some a, plenty of people also had him as a later first. Not going ahead of Christian Gonzalez, but it wasn't like they drafted a fourth round corner in the first. Like, do we actually know if they're any good? Benjamin St. Juice got worse this year. Is he a bad football player now? Or is he being asked to do things that are outrageous? And if he was had a better coach, then we know better. The, the assessment of talent is basically impossible. And the fact that they used a first and second rounder at a position where they had a coach who was... This much of, I'm sorry, but a failure. I hate saying that because it feels so harsh and hot takey, but like, look at the freaking results. Um, is it's really damning. And so, hopefully, this talent is actually way better and that helps accelerate the rebuild next year. But it's something that very keen eyes, you know, scout GM front office wise are going to have to look at when they watch the tape this offseason. The new. Uh, regime that comes in and evaluate, hey, was that a schematic failure or a player failure? And then make a decision on who they want to bring back and who they want to upgrade on moving forward. Those are the big items on 1st and 10. Some more things specific to the game, uh, including some bad coaching decisions by Rivera in the game and a couple of other news and notes items from Thursday's loss next. It's the Hoffman Show as we'll continue our 1st and 10 next on the team 980, it's the often showing the team 980 always alive as well on the Free Odyssey app. We we hear from Sam Fortier coming up at the bottom of the hour on the firing of Jack Del Rio, Michael Phillips at five o'clock. Go around the NFL at 5.30, pick six at six. Dave Johnson on a Wizards game day. What a poop show tonight for the Wizards. Sorry, all due respect, but the Wizards and Pistons are playing, and that, I think, is the official term for two, two and 2-14 teams. Uh, and then we are off 15 minutes early, real things at 6.30. So that's the lineup, but we continue now with more 1st and 10. Number three. All right, uh, number three as we get to the game itself is Ron Rivera's management of it. Twice in plus territory in the first quarter, Rivera chooses to punt. Why? Don't do that. That's silly. One, you have a kicker with an absolute bazooka leg. And maybe you're scared he's going to miss. Maybe he had a bad warm-up. I don't know. I'd, we'd never know all the information. But I can't, unless, like, something was truly wrong, 40, or sorry, a 57-yard field goal or a 60-yard field goal even for Joey Sly, indoors, he can make that. Kick it. Or one of them's a fourth and two, one of them's a fourth and three, maybe you go for it. Huh? 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 <sighs> Would have been nice. And, of course, they go for it later in the game with just terrible field position, uh, and that's really what ends the game. Uh, that fourth and one a little bit later, which brings us to, by the way... Number four. Oh, uh, that fourth and one on your own 30-yard line. Um, I... Just you're stuck dropping back there. And I guess you have to go for it at that point. If you really want to win, like, and Logan made this point on the the post-game podcast, which I, I appreciate. Are you trying to have a respectable score? Or are you trying to win the football game? You got to try to go for it there. But it's like fourth and inches, and you you're drop back passing with your O line and their D-line. I do not love that at all. You found some cool creative ways to get Sam out on the move. Um, you've run an option at the goal line, like you've booted. Uh, you've you've rolled. You've done all these kinds of different things. You got to do something like that for me. There, I hate hate. Just let's drop back and see if we can get something real quick. Immediate pressure, poopy. Uh, which brings us to actually number five. I've mentioned this a couple times this year, and I just keep mentioning it because I I feel more strongly about it. They stink in short yardage without Alex Arma. Um, the full like their fullback shouldn't be this important. But it feels like when he's in there, they've got all kinds of stuff, and they can just use him as a battering ram and pick up short yards. And without him, they try to get super creative because they have no trust in their offense to get a yard uh, running the football. And this is what happens. So, again, Alex Arma has – and I almost bring it up, like, to, to call attention to the fact not that he's got an injury and, like, oh, it's sad, Commanders, unfortunate. They didn't have him active for like the first seven weeks of the season by choice. And then he played three weeks and things were better. And then he's been hurt and things have gone back sideways again. So that's, that's not great. Number six, speaking of short yardage, um, it's more specific to another situation. Third quarter, uh, third and one, they take a shot to Terry. Love the idea. Would love Terry to make a, a better play on that ball, find a way to draw a PI, make the catch. But Stefan Gilmore is a very good corner. And at the end of the day, he made a good play. He's running stride for stride. It's a good throw by Sam. Maybe he could get it out a little bit more so that it's like over Gilmore's head and drops more in the bucket. But at the end of the day, that's a pretty good throw. Uh, it's a good play by Gilmore. It's a good attempt by Terry, but you'd like to see him somehow make a better play on that. Um So then it's 4th and 1. And I like the 3rd and 1 shot if you know you're going for it on 4th and 1. Say it again. Said it before. Plenty of people smarter than me can explain all of the reasons why this call stinks. But I'll give you a couple. Gun runs on short yardage stink. And I have come around on this more and more recently where I'm just like, you see the results. And I don't hate gun runs. I hate gun runs when you it's hundred percent going to be a run, and the reason is because gun runs go away from the back ninety ninety percent ish of the time. So if, if the back is lined up to the left of the quarterback, the run's going right, which means as a defensive lineman, I can crash hard right. Now you'd hope that you can take advantage of that, and it's like okay, we're gonna we're gonna fake. And then we're gonna roll Sam to the left, and then maybe you get a clean, a clean edge. But what happens on this third or this fourth and one is exactly that: they run the ball uh, back, back is left of of Hal. They run to the right, and the defensive end crashes hard inside of Charles Leno, and it's a, Leno's got to make the block, but it's a tough block. Like you're setting your guy up to have a much more difficult task. Then if you just ran the same play out of the dot and that defensive lineman had to play it straight, he knows the ball is going away from me. And whether it's going inside or outside, it's going that way. I am not getting a cutback in my lane. Like there is no angle for that to happen. It is a front side play, or if it's a cutback, it's on like an outside zone and I'm going to be there to clean up that cutback. And so it gets blown up. Of course, Jahan Dotson getting in the way doesn't help, but it's just a bad call from Go. I hate it. I hate it so much. I don't get why you do it. Number seven, the distribution again offensively. At this point, like I feel, I feel a little bit. Not bad, but I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. I just don't like the way this offense is designed from like a distribution standpoint. I do not like that the best player on the team cannot seem to get the ball in his hands on a more regular basis. And they did a good job of getting Curtis Samuel involved in this one. 12 targets. Um, he's got nine catches for hundred yards on those 12 targets. Like Curtis was really great in the game and it's not for lack of trying. And I think this is an important thing. Terry has 11 targets in the game, but they're very low percentage targets, right? He's got four catches on 11 targets. I don't think it's because Terry McLaurin is dropping a bunch of balls. He's had some more drops this year than he's ever had before, but he's also had a ton more like contested. Like, high—it's a lot of make-or-break stuff. And I just wish that they would line him up in places that allows him to get some of these targets that Curtis is getting, that Logan Thomas is getting. Over the middle of the field, easy, quick slants. Like, win with him without him having to win. Win with the pen with Terry more often. Um, Jahan, you know, six targets in this game, that's fine. Maybe like that a little bit higher— You know, can you get Gibson a couple more touches? He's only got four uh, in the game in terms of targets. But at the end of the day, just the inability to get – and maybe that's what the bullet point should be more than the distribution. The inability to get Terry McLaurin in the football is a fundamental flaw in this offense, and I really wish they could figure out how to freaking fix it. Number eight. Uh, The next step for Sam Howell, who was pretty good again in this game. Um, We'll talk more about Sam tomorrow uh, after I've had a chance to talk with Logan about all the tape. Uh, but all in all, like Sam's clearly very good in this game. He continues to elevate the offense, create stuff off schedule, create stuff off platform. Then, uh, So this is not me criticizing Sam and being like, he's terrible. If he could just do this thing, oh, Sam is good. Here's how he gets better. Here's how he goes from young quarterback to like really crushing it, doing big boy veteran quarterback stuff. And it's something that Tony Romo talked about during the broadcast. On high-low reads, he is often looking low to try to draw defenders up and then sneak a ball behind him high. Doesn't work in the NFL. You need to look high and then throw low. And as Romo said, I thought this was a great point, what you learn is that instead of a 14-yard like sliding high-level catch and throw, like high-level difficulty catch and throw, there were guys like running a deep out on the sideline for 14 yards. You throw the ball six yards to the underneath guy. There's a ton of space and he runs for six more and you wind up getting 12 yards anyway. So just make the easy throw and do it quickly. Um, and I think there were some times in this game where he tries to take the intermediate or deep route. It's better already than it was earlier in the year. So he's already improving here. I just think that's a, ne- uh, a, a big step that he's got to take. Number 9. Uh the lack of pass rush is just absolutely ridiculous. I cannot believe how much time Dak Prescott had. This Dallas offensive line is really really good. Like they they're on Philly's level. They're that good. But Allen and Payne really just are uninspiring right now as pass rushers and I know it's a tough job when you got all the attention on you and there's not really great edge play. But they got to figure it out. They're getting like that's that's why they're supposed to be them. And it's not like Casey Two Hills totally inept outside, and that some of these younger guys don't have any pass rush juice. It just they got the the inability to generate pressure is is another huge reason why Del Rio got fired, and that was on display in a pretty wild way on Sunday. And then last but not least, number ten, y'all can get mad at me if you want. If you want but Dak eating the turkey leg was hilarious. I'm sorry. It just was. That, like, if it didn't happen to your team, you'd think that was the funniest thing you saw all weekend. Dude was so confident that he was going to score another touchdown that he told his teammates, nah, we got to get one more. This game's not out of hand yet. We're still going to be able to do the turkey leg. And then he went down on the next drive, scored another touchdown, and ate a turkey leg. He ate a turkey leg onto the field on Thanksgiving. And... It's another reason Jack Del Rio had to go because that is high-key embarrassing, but it was also high-key hilarious, and if you don't like that, you don't like humor, and you're being a sassy pants because your team got absolutely crushed. I get it because your team got absolutely crushed, but that was funny. Uh, it's the offman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well. On the free Odyssey app. And when we get back, Sam Fortier's thoughts from the Washington Post on Jack Del Rio getting the axe on Friday here on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. So on Friday, news breaks. Commanders fire Jack Del Rio and Brett Visselmeyer. Pick up the old blower because we don't have a show that day. Uh, text my guy Sam Fortier and say, "Hey, would you like to talk about this uh, on the old internet?" And luckily, Sam uh, was willing to do that, and so we'd like to play that for you now. So we live streamed on Friday, which is a good reminder that if you have uh, a YouTube account or you consume YouTube or you think maybe you know Craig talks about this a lot, maybe maybe I should. Uh, it's very easy. You sign up for YouTube just using a Gmail account. Um, you know. It, then you can subscribe to, you know, us. You can subscribe to 106.7 The Fan. You can subscribe. JP Finley's got a channel. I've got my channel, you know, some of your favorites, like John Kime has a channel. So, like, there, there's plenty of, of DC sports coverage, sports coverage, you know, if you're into cooking stuff, whatever. You, it's 2023. People know how YouTube works. Get on with the, the show. But it's just a good reminder that uh, if news breaks and we're not able to talk about it on the radio, sometimes we will do digital exclusives. So it is worth subscribing uh, at 1067 The Fan, at the Team 980, and at Craig Hoffman. And uh, if you if you're not into that, uh, if something's really good, we'll play it for you on the radio. And and that's what we're going to do right now. So here's me and Sam Fortier uh, on Friday talking about the decision to can Jack Del Rio. So 4510 yesterday, Sam, is the icing on the cake. At the end of the day, like, why do you think Rivera waited to do this now versus, like, because to me it's like, okay, there's nothing left to save for this season. What if you had done this after the Bears game? Is it just it became untenable to go to work every day? Like, what was the breaking point?
1: To me, the breaking point was losing to two division rivals, one of whom was starting an undrafted rookie third string quarterback. And not solving defensive problems, not maximizing your defensive personnel. I mean, he's given up explosive. His defenses have given up explosive plays for years. It's obviously been worse this year. They didn't make the midseason turnaround that they usually make. And I think that Ron wanted to give his guy a chance. This is a guy that Ron brought in, stuck by through some, you know, comments that he made about January 6th. He's he's stayed with him even when you know, Jack couldn't find a scheme to maximize a high price free agent and William Jackson. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of problems, a lot of misses, even though Jack, I think, has had the defense playing really well at times over the last four years. But when you put those two games together and it, you know, closes the book on on your competitive season, you have to do something. And there wasn't, I think, an easy coaching change here. For Harris to fire Rivera, I don't think you know that would have been the answer. Uh, I think that Ron taking over as play caller is not a, a slam dunk. It's not going to improve you, probably, yeah, right. in the same way that firing Brent Wieselmeyer is not going to improve you. So I think it was an imperfect but necessary decision at this point
0: yeah so i think it's interesting right because they you as you mentioned ron is now taking over your defensive play calling i thought it was interesting and correct when he's like yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to scale things back and i think that's both for ron and for the players like um one one point that i've made to people when they've talked about firing jack in season in the past is ron taking over isn't as simple as he just picks up the playbook and calls different plays this is not the defense that he used to call he's never called this defense before this is jack's scheme Now, if you're a head coach and you're competent and you've been around it for four years and you were a former defensive coordinator yourself, I hope you can call at least some of it by this point. Um, And that is certainly what Ron's going to do. But it sounds like they're also going to majorly simplify the scheme. And it just kind of makes me wonder again, like if this is something that was on the table, you know, none of the people that are going to pick it up now haven't been here. And I think that's frustrating because they've been looking for answers all year. And so, in a way, if it works, if they play better these four games, it's almost all the more frustrating because these solutions were available all along.
1: The idea of simplifying the scheme is interesting to me because after the Giants game in particular, you talk to Benjamin St. Jude, yep. you talk to Emmanuel Forbes, and they talk about how complex the scheme is and how sometimes that leads to miscommunications in the back end. Then my colleague Tremel Rags talked to Isaiah Hodgins, the Giants receiver, and he was like, Yeah, I mean, their scheme's pretty simple. You know, we we knew how to beat it, especially when they played a lot more man-to-man coverage to try to beat Tommy DeVito, a young, inexperienced quarterback. Um, They, you know, went back to more zone-heavy schemes against Dak, a veteran. But when we talk about, like, simplifying the scheme, I, I know what we're talking about here. But I really don't know if it matters. You just need to produce better results.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so funny that quote just brought back something that Logan and I talked about on take command last year, which is that all these comments start to come out about this defense. And I was like, it seems like it's complicated for us. Easy for them. And that is the worst possible combination of something like you want as an offense, right? You want your offense to look really complicated. We have motions. We have shifts. We have funky formations, but we know what we're doing. So it's super easy, complex for them. Easy for us. Same thing on defense looks really complex. Oh my God. Is it cover two? Is it cover six? Is it cover three? But we know what we're doing. It's simple for us. And it seemed like offenses are able to look at this scheme. The last, most of the last four years, there's been obviously stretches where it's been very, very good. Uh, but all in all, offenses have seen straight through the disguises, straight through whatever complications there have been. It's simple to attack, and there has never been a consistent cohesion of execution on the commander side of it, which is why they're now literally the worst defense in the league.
1: I've been thinking a lot over the last couple of days about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers upset in 2021. When Mm -hmm. that defense legitimately confused Tom Brady with its rotations and, you know, William Jackson had a pick in that game. And it just to me, like if you crystallize all of the things, and and obviously they play complimentary football and they had that a 10-minute drive to seal it at the end where Antonio Gibson is just doing like battering ram running back carries, like that to me is maybe like a high point in terms of what this football team has been under Ron Rivera. And I think particularly for the defense to go out and confuse a hall of famer who like he wins with his mind. He never gets
0: confused ever.
1: Exactly. Like what, like why was it impossible to make that consistent? And I don't know if there's one answer. I don't know if Jack would have an answer. I don't know if any players would have an answer, but like when you see a high that high, and then you see a low as low as we're seeing right now, like, how? You know? Well,
0: that's what I wanted to ask is like they were able to turn this around mid-year multiple years. And I think that probably saves Jack after the Bears game, right? To answer my own question from earlier. Why doesn't he do that after the Bears game? Well, because every other year there's been a turnaround and they've played like a top five unit for the back halves of multiple years here. And Ron's probably like, Well, it really is unfortunate that we did this terrible start thing again, but he'll figure it out. Why didn't they turn it around this past year? And I think, by the way, the answer is the other guy who got fired today is not as good as the guy that he replaced. Brett Visselmeyer, the defensive backs coach, also gets fired today. And Chris Harris is the guy they should have kept all along. Like, I think... You watch how the DBs progress this year. You watch the, and not in fact, not just progress because it's not actually the right word. You watch how the defensive backs regress this year. Camp Crow this year is not as good as he was last year. BSJ, not as good as he was last year. Kendall's about the same guy, but he's got a lot more football underneath him in terms of a resume. And then by the way, you complicate this or compound this by using your first two draft picks on defensive backs at a position that is terribly coached all year long and to me, like, that's the difference in the previous years is they were able to figure out a coverage structure that worked for them. And there was, like, a game and a half this year where they started playing a lot more, two, and it started to work. Teams figured it out. They never adjusted again. And it's been, you know, barbecue chicken, if you will, to borrow the inside the NBA phrasing ever since.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is... And I think the thing that's frustrating for a lot of defensive players is that they feel like they've made progress, they've had good practices. And, and last night I was standing in... The depths of at&t stadium outside the interview room and (laughs) i i like down the wall like down the halls brian mitchell's voice is just like on the team broadcast just ripping them apart about you know (laughs) i don't i don't want to hear about good practices you know i'm tired of this crap on the field things like that yeah and so i i think that it's it's hard to it's hard to argue because we're not out there all the time about like Hey, defensive backs, like you are not having the quality of practice that you think you're having, but clearly, like the results on the field have shown that. And so, I, I think it's really it's it's frustrating. Um, like, why can't guys pass guys off? Like, right. like why can you not communicate at the back end? Why is it, why did the zone match scheme switch not work? Um, I mean, it's obviously coaching detail, players, all of those things. Um, but untangling those like messy cord of wires is, is feels impossible at times.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's going to take a while. And, you know, it's going to take guys talking, which obviously when people get fired, all of a sudden, there's no reason reason to keep secrets. Guys tend to talk. You've been doing this long enough. And, you know, look, last year, it it happened before uh, people got fired. He wrote the story. uh, For those that may not remember, uh, Sam wrote the story about Scott Turner that uh, was uh, not great, Uh, at least if you're Scott Turner. So, who knows what what people are be willing to say this week um, and, and obviously moving forward oh, through the bye week and through the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I, I actually that also sparked this other kind of complimentary thought, if you will, because I was having a conversation after last week's game in the locker room with uh, one of the offensive players. And he was just like, man, if you, got, if you could see us practice, our offense does not look like this. Our offense is so much crisper, we hit big shots. And I was thinking about that conversation like two days later and I was like, was well, that just because you guys get to play your defense in practice? Like, what is, you know, is it just like, you know, whatever the opposite inverse of iron sharpens iron is, is it just two bad units going against each other in practice? And if so, you get this false sense of confidence because you're beating up on each other and then you have to go face someone else and lo and behold, you're not that good. And I just, I wonder if that's kind of been where we were the entire year and you can never know in training camp because you don't get to see it against someone else. And they even did go to Baltimore and like they looked good against Baltimore. And I think that's the thing that's crazy to me is just it never came together this season. They have all the reason that it should, which honestly does give me hope for the future. Like I do think good a good coaching staff can come in here and turn this thing, not to mention the graphics and the the cap space pretty quick. But like, I don't know, I guess to, to like tee up a question for you, do you think the players here are much better than the results and this is this is as you start to untangle the wires poorly a poorly coached team or did we overrate the talent and the, the players actually aren't that good and we overrated that in the preseason and that's why they have not met expectations
1: Last year, it was pretty clear to me, and I think a lot of people, that the offense did not live up to its potential because of three reasons, right? Play calling, offensive line quarterback. And I think that you could go into the offseason and say, oh, there are these three things that we need to fix. I don't think it is quite that simple this year, but I do think that, yeah, there is talent on this roster, and you're seeing a lesser than the sum of its parts team right now. I think that you do need to... Make some changes. You obviously need to add edge rushers. Uh, You need to add corners, uh, safety, depending on what happens with Cam Curl. Uh, I think on the offense, you know, you got to look at tight end. And and obviously the big question is you have to evaluate Sam Howell. And I know that he's shown a lot of promising signs. But if you hire a GM or a coach who doesn't think he's the guy or thinks that they have a good enough draft pick and, and they feel like drake may or caleb williams or one of these guys is an upgrade they could go get him so i think there's a lot of things at play but i don't look at this roster in the same way that we did at the end of 2019 and said like this is a massive rebuild i I think that like there are pieces there especially with the cap space that you have especially with the draft picks that you're going to have i see this as a, a a not as complete project as it was when ron rivera Came
0: on. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of helpful pieces on this roster. The thing that's crazy about the 2019 team and this team is the same or the best players are the same guys. Like, bigger question why do you think Rivera's never been able to get another superstar or develop another superstar caliber player over his time here? Because it really is John Allen, Deron Payne, and half joke, or, and Terry McLaren, and half jokingly, Tress Way.
1: <laughs> I mean like no, not jokingly Tresway like he's yeah. one of the best He's a punter but
0: and... like he's one of the best players on the team.
1: Yeah, it, it, like that's not a joke. Um I mean you have to start with the evaluation process and I think that like I would I would not give Ron a pass but like drafting Chase Young to me even with the Justin Herbert development and the Tua development like he had to take Dwayne Haskins as a part of the job, and Chase Young was a generational guy. Like, you know, not making it work with him, uh, I think, is, is a massive franchise-altering whiff. But drafting him, I, I don't, you know, think it was a sure. mistake I don't think as Jamin or, you know, Emmanuel could end up being. I think that, you know, you've seen a lot of helpful pieces, like they hit on Cam Curl in 2020, um, they've hit on, you know, I think Derek Forrest, even though, you know, he hasn't been as consistent or, any he's been injured this year, but like, I think they've added pieces, but why haven't they been able to add superstar talent? I mean, I think a part of it is the Ron Rivera model, I guess you could say like the path of every year, starting slow midseason surge, either getting into the playoffs and losing or, or falling short of the playoffs. Like you have a middling draft pick every year. And, and, you know, I, I don't think that the evaluation and development pipeline has been up to par.
0: Yeah. I also just wonder, like, where did, like, what did Ron, what was Ron thinking on some of this? And I've been thinking about this more, too, in terms of EB. Um, I know we're straying a little bit from the defense. This is mostly about Del Rio and whatever, but like, the, this all plays into each other. Like, you look at the, the interior offensive line of Kansas City, like, they're really good. Their guards are good. Creed Humphrey's one of the better centers in the league. Andy's always had good O lines going back to his days in Philly that offense works at its best when you have a really good interior O-line, and you would think that would have been an even bigger point of emphasis with Sam at quarterback. And by the same token, to bring it back to the defense, like, Ron was good when he was good in Carolina, and, and people know at this point, like, you know, he actually wasn't that good in Carolina. He had three winning seasons. But, like, when they were good, and defensively they were good for a long stretch, but he had maybe the best middle linebacker ever. Like, he had Luke Keekly, and his he had, obviously, the, the really good players up front, but... That defense worked because they had studs in the back seven as well. Josh Norman at the peak of his powers at corner. They had Bradbury, who was really good. But Luke in the middle was the guy who made everything work. And here it's been kind of, you know, the Cole Holcomb's, and Cole's like a fine football player, but he's not anywhere remotely close to Luke Keekly. Um, Cody Barton, obviously, they bring in. And, you know, if they thought Jamin was going to be that guy, like that's just a heinous evaluation of who Jamin Davis is. Jamin could have been like the Thomas Davis type or um, the Shaq Thompson type, but he wasn't Luke Keekly and you know, your first round pick, that's a big, big ask. So I also just wonder like philosophically, it seems like there's some places where they didn't invest in a major way or they did. And they missed, you know, corner, William Jackson is a big miss. And I wonder how much that obviously plays into it as well Is like they tried in the wrong places, they didn't spend on the right things. And when they did spend those, they actually weren't very good at picking the right, the right things off the shelf. If you will, anyway,
1: I feel like this is kind of the part of the conversation where I'm talking about where it's, it's hard to untangle this stuff yeah. because if you hit on William Jackson, you have a shutdown corner. Like that year in 2020, they were pretty good down the stretch except against number one receivers. So it's like, okay, okay, we have to go out and get a guy that can shut down number one receivers, and, and theoretically, William Jackson was that. He had been that in Cincinnati. And so then, you know, you were unable schematically to maximize his strengths and you're unable to coach him up and, and kind of get him to, to buy in and, and you know, have play with vision through the receiver to the quarterback instead of, you know, locking onto a man. And so then when that sets you back, then you have to start compensating for that. And it just shifts everything around. And, and kind of with the same thing with Jamin Davis, like you bring that guy in and you're like, even though he only had one year, we can coach him up. We can coach him up. And so I, I think it's – you know, it, it's going to depend on who you talk to in terms of who is the blame on more in terms of is it an evaluation thing? Is it a developmental thing? Is it a schematic thing? But it's just clear that the front office and the coaching staff have, have never been on the same page. And if they have been on the same page, then one of their abilities has not been up to snuff to, to get right. those guys where they need to go. And so, like, yeah, it, it's – It's such a cop-out answer to say, like, oh, it's easy to point fingers and blame, but, like, it's really complicated. But I I really do believe that. I don't think anyone here was – I think there were multiple problems, and that is obscuring, like, what is the thing that, like, screwed this team.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, the simplest way to put it is there's a bunch of people here that aren't that good at their jobs. They're not incompetent. Like, they're not not professional, but they're just not that good at it. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And by the way, that also means sometimes the professionalism is going to allow you to win some games or show competitiveness in a certain situation, but you're just never going to break through.
1: I, I remember I was doing a profile about Marty Herney when they hired him, and I talked to John Lynch. Um, I, I was doing a profile about Martin Mayhew because he had played with John Lynch when they were together in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And John Lynch made a comment to me and I'm going to kind of butcher it, but John Lynch basically said like, I know a lot of people think like, can it really work with Marty and Ron running it back for a third time? Um, and he said I, and I don't know, but I think Martin will be a good addition to that room. You know, he didn't say exactly that, but that was basically his message. And, yeah. and to me, that really speaks to kind of the point you just made, like Marty and Ron together outside of a year where you had the league MVP and a generational middle linebacker. Like, this is this is kind of what they were you know and and like so so i don't think this comes as a major shock i think that there were times that you know they could have been better but if you're looking at this and saying how did ron rivera not live up to the 15 and 1 carolina panthers super bowl run year and you just say like he never found cam and he never found luke
0: yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. All right, last thing, uh, Sam Fortier uh, again with us. You can read his work covering all of this, the game yesterday, Del Rio's firing, and what I'm about to ask him about uh, at WashingtonPost.com/sports, which is where does this team go next? To me, this is kind of like, okay, we got our head on a platter. Uh, let's get to the end of the year, and then everyone's going to be gone and Josh Harris can finally really start anew. Again, if anybody expected anything differently, they should be mad at the NFL for not pushing Dan Snyder out sooner because Josh Harris got control of the team the night before training camp started. And to me, by the way, that is an underrated story in this, is like if the NFL had any chutzpah to push Dan out faster, that would have been great because they literally just cost Washington the season. There was nothing Harris could do, even if he wanted to. Who knows if he would have, but he didn't have the choice. Anyway, aside from that, rant that I've done a couple of times over the last year. Um, where does this team go from here? Let's say between now and the end of the season.
1: They play the games until now. <laughs> the and and you look at Sam Howell and you say, are you the guy? And I think it's going to be a good stretch for that, considering the the really talented defenses they're going to face and Dallas, again, San Francisco, New, the New York jets. I mean, um, they're, they're going to be in a track meet with Miami probably, or they're gonna have to throw a lot. So, I mean, this is going to be some really important tape for whoever the next GM is to come in and evaluate. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't think it really matters how, how Ron is as a defensive play caller, but you want to see like, can you, can Emmanuel finish strong? Can Quan Martin be something? Uh, I, I don't really know what Benjamin St. Juice's role is on this team, but outside corner, I, I don't know if he has a future there. Can he play nickel? Uh, can Jamin continue to make strides? Uh is Cam curl going to flash something that makes you say, Hey, do we want to resign him? Because I think that, you know, maybe Kendall Fuller is back, but like, there's just, I, I just think it's a lot about who, who are the important pieces on this team? Like who would matter to in 2024, no matter who the GM and the head coach are and, Sam Howell is, is obviously the biggest question mark there, and, and then everybody else is, is somewhere behind him.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, Sam Fortier, appreciate your time, sir. Read him, WashingtonPost.com sports. This is The Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and the Odyssey app.